In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear family, the, the front page banner on our bulletin has what would in essence be maybe a personal motto of mine from the first day of ordination, Veritas and Caritate, which as you know means truth and charity. With that in mind, let us ponder, as we have before, that truth and charity requires clarity. Or in other words, clarity is charity. Hear that again. Clarity is charity. So let us ponder this morning, clarity. As we have pondered so many times before, Jesus the Lord would not have gone through all he went through, right from, from birth in the manger, in poverty, the flight in Egypt, the, the three years of constant threats from the hierarchy, arrest, torture, scourging, thorns, crucifixion. Jesus the Lord would not have gone through that whole passion only to leave us confused about anything. There's no charity in confusion, none, zero. Clarity is charity. One of the great saints and doctors of the church, St. John Chrysostom, he preached with clarity. His very, name, his very name, Chrysostom, means golden mouth. He spoke with such clarity. The Roman Catholic Church celebrates his feast day on September 13th, but this year that falls on a Sunday, a few days hence, so we would miss celebrating it this year. So it's a good, good we take a moment now to ponder this great saint and doctor of the church. St. John Chrysostom was a great preacher, one of the all-time greats, which again is how he got his name, Golden Mouth. He was from Antioch, one of the five ancient patriarchies along with Jerusalem, Alexandria, Rome, and Constantinople. And ultimately, he was named Bishop of Constantinople. And sometimes, I have to say this, sometimes his sermons lasted up to two hours. So he makes me look very good by comparison. Sometimes his sermons stung the high and mighty. And I could only ever hope, dear family, to be an imitation of him. If we stop to think about it, every great prophet right up to and including St. John the Baptist preached repentance from sin and pretty much all suffered as a consequence, frequently suffering martyrdom. Then, of course, we have the mighty lion of Judah himself, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who preached repentance from sin from day one. And look what happened to him. Well, St. John Chrysostom also took up the cross of preaching Repentance, and he was persecuted fiercely and ultimately sent into exile by the evil empress Eudoxia. Remember, Constantinople was kind of the seat of the empire. He was ultimately sent into exile by the evil empress Eudoxia, where he died. While preaching repentance to corrupt officials who hold powerful positions, whether it be in the secular world or even in the church, also brings with it a share of persecution. One such corrupt official in the church back then was Theophilus, 
the bishop of one of those other five patriarchies, Alexandria. And he joined forces with Eudoxia and other bishops who despised St. John Chrysostom's call to repentance, and they were instrumental in getting him exiled. I would not want to have been them on their judgment day. Well, as it was, so it is, so it always will be. Faithful preachers call leaders to repentance and suffer as a consequence. And this all is appropriate to ponder on a day like today, when we hear in the gospel, Jesus say the following, stop judging and you will not be judged. Stop condemning and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And notice that these three sentences are spoken in a row. And all, all in one verse, Luke 6.37, they all go together. And that is how they must be read to understand the message Jesus was trying to convey. Taken together, these three sentences describe our human nature to not forgive others who sin against us, but instead condemn them. But see and understand the essential, essential difference between that and calling out the sinner to repentance. One condemns the in the first, the one condemns the sinner and essentially imposes a sentence of damnation upon the sinner. The other loves the sinner enough to try to call him back to holiness. And those are two entirely different actions. And it is important to understand this essential difference in this gospel message because the one part of the verse taken out of context is the favorite out of context, misinterpreted part of a verse that the new pagans spout off today, all around us. They who have never read a full gospel in their life, but fancy themselves experts in the totality of the full and complete truth and message of Christ our Lord. So, if you call out to a sinner to repent, and someone responds by saying something like that to you, stop judging. Ask them if they've read all the prophets who preached repentance. They read St. John the Baptist who looked at, I love this line. He looked, you remember, the scribes and Pharisees were coming to him. He said, who told you to come to me, you brood of vipers? Jesus was not the first one to say that phrase. He said, repent and show me some fruit, good fruit of your repentance. That's what St. John the Baptist told the scribes and Pharisees. Ask them if they've read the people who say stop judging, if they've read such prophets, including St. John the Baptist, or if they've read Jesus, who regularly preached, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the apostles like Saints Peter and Paul, who always preached repentance. Half those letters St. Paul said, wrote were, were to communities to say, hey, you're messing up here, repent. But I guess if there's no sin, there's no need to repent. As we've talked about before, popes from the last century have warned us that the greatest sin is the denial of sin, the loss of the sense of sin. No sin, no need to repent. But, dear family, if there is sin, then there is need of repentance, and we are called as an act of mercy to preach repentance. That is not judging the state of the soul, it only is asserting the objective truth that sin is sin always and everywhere, 
And we actually are responsible for calling everyone to live a life of greater holiness, to abandon the wicked ways, be holy. In fact, that was the focus of this past Sunday's meditation, a reflection of Almighty God's demand on each one of us. So put, put so clearly, remember, clarity is... Um, oh, my mind's blank. Clarity is... Charity. See, you're listening. <laughs> clarity is... I knew it rhymed. Where am I? Clarity is Charity. Where there is sin, there is need of repentance, and we are called as an act of mercy to preach repentance. And it's not judging the state of the soul. So we have these words from a great prophet, Ezekiel, that teach us this. Thus says the Lord, you son of man, I've appointed you watchmen for the house of Israel. When you hear me say anything, you shall, you shall, there's an option here, you shall warn them for me. If I tell the wicked, O wicked one, you surely shall die. And you do not speak out to dissuade the wicked one from his way. The wicked shall die for his guilt. Let me, Jesus, search the Gospels. Nowhere did Jesus say, oh, Ezekiel, what was he saying back then? No. He said, I will hold you responsible for his death. But if you warn the wicked, try to turn him from his way, and he refuses, he shall die for his guilt, but you shall save yourself. Knowing this, however, does not mean, knowing that we have a duty to preach repentance, knowing this, however, does not mean that people are willing to listen to good sense, like follow the gospel. Some are so steeped in sin. Remember, the more you sin, the darker your soul becomes, the less you're able to see. It's like St. Paul couldn't see because the scales were on his eyes. That's what sin does, blinds us. And some are so steeped in sin and pride and arrogance but they will not listen, and they will do horrible things, like murder St. John the Baptist at the chopping block, or crucify Jesus, the Son of God, on the cross, or exile the great preachers like St. John Chrysostom. So we cannot be surprised when it happens, but we cannot back away from preaching repentance for sins just because that persecution, say, may come to us. Rather, let us hold fast to the truth that if you warn the wicked, if you warn them, if you just would warn them, well, what he does after that, that's going to be his issue. But you shall save yourself. So let's keep the faith, run the race, and always and everywhere call everyone to repentance. It's not only our duty, it's our salvation. So we might ask ourselves, well... Did Jesus the Lord ever give us really good guidance on that issue? Did the Son of God, truth himself, ever give us guidance or an understanding, some clarity with charity on what we're supposed to do? You know, yes, he did. Quote, do you think I have come to establish peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Division is like a bad word out there these days. no. That's what Jesus came to preach and teach. And he said, from now on, a household of five will be divided. Three against two and two against three. He doesn't mean they said that house across the street. He meant in God's house as well. We see that obviously because, you know, five, was five days before the crucifixion, some of the Jews are saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Five days later, the divided house divided against Jesus Preached, crucify him, crucify him. 
So it's not just in somebody's home. It's in God's home that we'll still see such division. Jesus never said that our approach was never to divide, isolate, or condemn. No. If that was his approach, we would not have the woe to you, chapter 23 in Matthew, and so many other places where the manner and tone of his message unmistakably divided people between those few who followed his truth and all the many who did not. And you're familiar with chapter 23, which actually is entitled Denunciation of the Scribes and Pharisees. Notice it doesn't say fireside chat about the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus wasn't having one of those lovely fireside chats by the radio. Denunciation. That's not my word. That's in sacred scripture there. Denunciation of the scribes and Pharisees. And first in that chapter, Jesus taught the people to beware of the hierarchy in their day. And then Jesus, first he warns them, and then he turned his condemnation directly to them, to their face, to the hierarchy then. And he said, woe to you, right to their face. Woe to that is That's not sound like peaceful language. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You lock the kingdom of heaven before human beings. You do not enter yourselves. Interestingly enough, that's not the first time he said that about the scribes and Pharisees. He said, unless our righteousness exceed the scribes and Pharisees, we too shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. He's just repeating himself here. You do not enter yourselves, nor do you allow entrance to those trying to enter. The footnotes to this verse about the locking of the kingdom are instructive. Quote, you lock the kingdom of heaven. See, for instance, Matthew 16, 19, where Jesus tells Peter, that he'll give him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Goes on, the purpose of the authority expressed by the metaphor is to give entrance into the kingdom. And here the charge is made that the authority of the scribes and Pharisees is exercised in such a way as to be an obstacle to entrance. I can tell you the number of people I've heard kind of fallen away from the church because of the obstacles presented over the last 18 years. It also says, see, for instance, Luke eleven fifty two, where the accusation against the scholars of the law is that they have taken away the key of knowledge. There's no clarity in charity. That's straight out of the, the, the Bible and the, and the notes that explain it to us. So have we seen then, ch- clarity is charity. And clarity and charity divides. It causes the very division Jesus, our Lord, told us about. Told us that that's the way he wanted to go about doing things. And if we use the brains God gave us, we readily can see that the manner and tone in which Jesus spoke that day and elsewhere was not lacking in charity. Rather, the true definition of charity regards the salvation of souls, which is the supreme law of the church. But in contrast, as we know, the new pagans amongst us say, judge not. They base base it on the misinterpretation of sacred scripture. In fact, as a great theologian, Peter Kreeft, described it, this is the new pagans' favorite scripture. The only judgment allowed is the judgment against judging, which itself is is an inconsistent, nonsensical judgment. That's Peter Kreeft. He's brilliant. Their only absolute is that there are no absolutes, which itself is an inconsistent and nonsensical judgment. 
And because there are no absolute objective moral values, such as the Ten Commandments, or Jesus's or, or St. Paul's laundry list of don't do this or do that, it's all relative. Which means that each person gets to make up for himself what is right and wrong. And let us not dare to impose our values on someone else. This really is just a new form of old paganism, he writes, known as polytheism, or many gods, like the Greeks who thought Zeus lived on Mount Olympus. But at least the old pagans worshipped something outside themselves, some, something that they imagined, some transcendent being. Back then, even those gods had some standards applicable universally to all the people. That was one of the points of the many stories, kind of like our, our fables and parables that gave instruction in right conduct, like the boy who cried wolf teaches us don't lie. That's what old pagans used to do. Now, however, the new pagan polytheism is that each one of us is our own little God, able to decide right and wrong for ourselves, able to determine our own personal values. And that false teaching is nothing other than the original sin. Again, if there's nothing to judge as sin, there is no need to repent of anything. And we must wonder why we needed a savior in the first place. And not just any old savior, the Savior who taught us that the wages of sin are death and then showed us what that meant on Calvary. We surely must wonder indeed why we needed a Savior in the first place. The fact of the matter, dear family, is that Jesus the Lord did not last long as a faithful Jewish rabbi in his days on earth. And we need not, you know, I saw somebody wrote this, we need not wonder, no, not wonder how long he would last as a faithful Catholic priest in ours. Let us conclude as we began. Veritas and caritate, which means, as you know, truth and charity. And truth and charity requires clarity. Or in other words, clarity is charity. Clarity is the most loving thing we can do. Do everything we can to get rid of the confusion that's being spread everywhere in our country, in our culture, around the world. Clarity is charity. So here's a very clear and charitable comments, which will indeed be divisive between truly faithful Catholics and those who are not. In our day, there is an overwhelmingly oppressive cancel culture, which does all it can do to cancel clarity. One might compare, then, questions of manner and tone as applied to our search for truth and as applied to the manner and tone in which 10,000 more babies will be chopped up and murdered by abortionists in this country now even after, now even after they've been born every Saturday. Because you see, that is the busiest day in the abortion mills. What kind of manner and tone are we hearing from the pulpit in the Catholic Church versus the manner and tone of those babies every Saturday? You know, we've been at this for what? Let's see, 1973, 27, 40, 47 years. 47 years. Where's the manner and tone for another 10,000 babies this Saturday? What kind of manner and tone are we hearing? We're hearing clarity with charity 
One must wonder what kind of tone those babies are crying out to our father as they're being murdered. Dare we compare my manner and tone toward those who support their murder? Dare we compare my manner and tone with the sweet and dulcet tones of Lucifer holding out the fruit in the garden? Take this, this normalization of every aberrant sexual practice. Take and eat of it. You certainly will not die. Dare we compare my manner and tone with the tone, the manner and tone we see ravaging our cities with every rioter, looter, burner, and shooter, and that of every Marxist socialist condemned by the Catholic Church by the last 10 vicars of Christ on earth. Shall we talk about manner and tone? Shall we compare clarity is charity as we look all around us in our day and age, outside the church and inside the church, and see so many wallowing in the confusion of sin as they run, not walk, down the broad road to destruction? Your family, our duty is to warn sinners with clarity, not confusion. And if they, if they turn away from their sin, oh, let's have dialogue. Let's just talk them back. It's been 47 years. I haven't seen any coming back. How about if we just make it a little more crystal clear how damnable is that business a block up the street? How about if we have a little clarity If they turn away from their sin with that clarity, heaven will rejoice. We know this, Jesus the Lord told us. But if we do not speak clearly, then we will perish alongside them. And thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. If I just one last little comment, I know it's late. Uh, I'll be very brief. You'll notice the children are not here today. And the reason they're not here today is because of the manner and tone of several vile and despicable uh, comments and letters and emails and phone calls that were made both to the diocese and to my parish office after James Martin urged his followers in public to contact us and complain. Um, You know, when we talk about manner and tone, That speaks volumes. Uh, We've seen the manner and tone throughout the last hundred and some days all around the country. We've seen what evil manner and tone actually is. Uh, The reason why the children aren't here today is because of that specifically. And if anybody wants to complain about manner and tone, perhaps they should start with those people whose manner and tone actually is diabolical, evil, and off. Well, we're in church. So this might be actually the last, a bishop does not want live streaming of the masses. This might be the very last live stream that of the holy sacrifices of the mass that I can give. Uh, That is unfortunate, but the manner and tone of the people on opposing us uh, is just that vile and despicable. So uh, it causes everyone to cave and indeed it appears to be the case here. So uh, I don't think I'll be live streaming after today. Uh, just a little message to everybody out there, but if you want to know why the children aren't here, it's because of them. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord.
remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly into thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To thee do I come before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. St. Charles Borromeo. St. Aloysius Gonzaga. St. Damien Amalekai. Bishop St. John Fisher. St. John Chrysostom. St. Tarsisius. St. Joseph the Workman. Our Lady, Queen of Heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.